Well, I tell you, this is a wonderful Tuesday night crowd. It's uh, it is a uh, it just seems like it was like two hours ago we were starting in Sunday school and uh, having our time together. And I made mention of the fact that these three days will go rapidly, and I knew that it would. And I just extremely regret that uh, we're that we're finishing up our services with you tonight. I wish it could go longer. I I. I know that you might think that I'm supposed to say this or that uh, it's what guest preachers are supposed to say or always say, but uh, I, I feel a responsibility to make sure that what I say is, uh, is both accurate and certainly sincerely from my heart. And I will just say that I am deeply appreciative of your pastor. And I mean that in the fact that he is a man who who has such a shepherd's heartbeat and a care for you. And uh, one of the things I've always appreciated about this ministry is that you've always sought to do things with quality. There's been a sense of doing things appropriately and uh, things are done, done well. And you use, use modern uh, technology and tools to help get the gospel out. I often tell a pastor, you know, one of the best things you can do as a pastor of a church is think like a visiting guest that walks inside your church. Is that your church? Is that your horn or is it my? Uh, uh, someone hit their keys and so it's going to bother us till, till it goes away, isn't it? Hopefully it won't go all night long, but uh, I don't hear anything. Do you? Anyway, as I was saying... <laughs> And as I'm looking, it's just right over there. I can't tell you what, there, but got t- taken care of, whoever it was. All right, congratulations. Um, I say always come into your church and think like a visiting guest because uh, you, sometimes we all get used to things, seeing things as they are. And we get used to, uh, oh, I don't know, hymn books being disheveled and, and the floor being a mess and cobwebs. Here we go. In the corner and cars that honk. We get used to things that, uh, that we ought not get used to. And uh, the fact is, <laughs> Brother John, maybe you can help us know who it is. And uh, hopefully we won't embarrass anybody, but uh, uh, it's what? Okay, anyway. I will say I've had a lot of unusual things happen wherever I've gone to preach. Usually it's a phone that will go off in a service, but uh, I can't remember this ever happening. I'm sure it it has before. Your church will be memorable to me for for some time. I'm trying to say some gracious things up here, and I keep getting interrupted by the car, but... I am deeply appreciative of Pastor Riddell. I really am. He has been very gracious and kind to, be, to me and to Lynn. And he and his wife have been, uh, been more than just hosts. They've been friends. And I'm thankful for that. And I know that as a church family, uh, sometimes you just kind of get used to things and get used to leadership and get used to people. And you ought not let that happen. Be grateful. 
as I travel across the country, you have certainly a church that is marked by the blessing of God upon it, the hand of God upon it. So don't forget that. And I know that you don't, but it might be good for you just to be reminded of it. So I hope that you will tonight. And I'm so glad that you're here. I feel like we just got started. I feel like we just uh, uh, got together in Sunday school and some of you ate donuts and so forth. But here we are at the end of our journey and time together. And I hope our paths will cross again in the days to come. I really do. And uh, I thank you for your graciousness and your kindness extended to us in so very many ways. I am thankful for the opportunity to preach anytime, anywhere. I'm very thankful that the Lord has allowed me another opportunity to do so. Uh, the breaks came on in my life two years ago, and uh, we spent a year, as I mentioned on Sunday, uh, just battling cancer. And so I'm very thankful for another opportunity to be doing what the Lord's called me to do. And I'm not ready to quit. I'm not ready to uh, slow down. I'm in his hands and I'll do whatever he wants me to do. But I'm thankful that I get another chance to go after this thing. And it's caused me to see the value of time. It's caused me to recognize what, what Moses said when he said, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And Paul said, we need to redeem the time because the days we live in are evil. And the will of God, part of the knowing the will of God is to, is to recognize that God's given us a certain amount of time. Did you know that the time that he's given you and to me is in his hands? And you can't add one day to what he has already designed for you to have. And you can't stop one day from happening that he has given to you. And the Lord Jesus himself came near the, to the end of his time on earth and he said, Lord, I have completed the task that you have sent me here to do. And that's what I want to say. And I want to finish strong. And uh, I am grateful that the Lord allowed us to be together once again. Last night I preached to you from the Gospel of John. If I asked of you tonight, of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, which is your favorite Gospel? I'm going to have to guess. I'm not going to take the time to do it. My guess is many of you would say John. And it's certainly a great Gospel. The Gospel of belief, it's been often called. I love the Gospel of John. I really do. You've been studying the Gospel of Matthew with your pastor, going through it, and uh, going through the journey of, uh, of, of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew presents Jesus as our King. And I love Luke, but I will tell you, without pause or hesitation, my favorite gospel is the gospel of Mark. And I want you to go to chapter 5 with me tonight, Mark chapter 5. For what it's worth, many who were in that first century after Christ ascended to heaven, historical writers, not, not biblical writers, but historical writers said that, without a doubt, John Mark wrote this gospel, the gospel of Mark. Well, I don't doubt it, and I know that you probably don't either. But they also told us another truth about this gospel. And that is that it was given to him by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Peter. Peter and Mark were friends. Parenthetically, I could say this to you, 
We study from the book of Acts that Mark, John Mark, had a falling out with the Apostle Paul. Something, something occurred and John Mark left the evangelistic mission team of Paul and Barnabas and he went back home to his home in Jerusalem. To where when later on Barnabas and Paul were going to take that next journey together, Barnabas said, I'd, li I'd like for us to take Mark again. And Paul said, no, he left us before. I don't want to take John Mark. I don't, I, and he gave up on Mark. And Barnabas said, no, 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 we shouldn't give up on him. And Paul said, no, I, I'm done with Mark. And, and the contention was so sharp that Barnabas and Paul separated. God dictated that. And Barnabas went and got John Mark and took off with him. And Paul went off with Silas. So that's another, uh, another portion of scripture. But we also know that Peter took Mark under his spiritual mentoring wing. You see, it was as if Peter said, Mark, I know failure too. I, I know what it means to disappoint others. And I know what it means to fail. We looked at Peter last night. And Peter and Mark became friends, and he mentored him to some degree. And the Gospel of Mark, as we're told by historic writers, was given to Mark as the Spirit of the Lord moved upon him and Peter. And we have this Gospel. That's just for a historical reference. But one cool thing about this Gospel of Mark is it's a, it's a book that is quick. The key word of the book of Mark is the word straightway, which means immediately, can't you see Peter say, and immediately Jesus calmed the storm, and immediately he fed the crowds, and immediately he said this, and, and we have little vignettes, little stories of the life of Christ. Luke was a lot more detailed, Matthew was a lot more detailed, John was great in detail, but Mark wasn't. It was like, get to it, get it said, and get out, move on to the next one. Until we come to this story. What fascinates me here in the Gospel of Mark chapter 5 is that you have a chapter that is a chapter of hope for hopeless people. Get the context and we'll read it. Jesus and his disciples had left the western shore of the Sea of Galilee and had gone over to the eastern side where he was accosted by that maniac of a legion of demons. And Jesus, in the process of traveling from one side of the shore to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, a storm came up and Jesus calmed the storm. Great story. Jesus showed he had power over nature. He gets over there to the Gadara area and that maniac comes out and he says, the demon speaking through the man said, we know who you are. Would you please allow us to possess the swine? We don't want to just be let loose. Let us go into the swine. And Jesus said, be gone from this man. And that legion of demons came out of that man who was uncontrollable prior to that time. And they went into the swine and the swine jumped over a cliff and and this previously demon-possessed man is now wanting to put on clothes and he's under control. He's a believer in Jesus Christ and he's sitting in his right mind listening to the Lord give the gospel. I love that. I just love that. Don't ever allow your church to be a church that is unwilling to take people who come from some pretty rough parts of life 
But when they come to Christ and they accept Christ as Savior, they come and sit and grow in the gospel. That's, the, that's what the local church should be all about. But those people in that Gadara area did not want Jesus to stay. And they said, you've got to leave. Leave this place. Now, folks, I find that most unusual. This man who scared them, this man who was demon-possessed is now delivered of the demons. It looks like to me they would have said, Jesus, could you stay? We love what you've done. He showed he had power over nature when they traveled by the boat. He showed he had power over demons, and now he leaves to go back. Are you with me? Not, not 24 hours later, he starts making his way back over to the western side of the Sea of Galilee, where over there, Jesus is somebody. He's like a star. And the crowds of people gathered around him, and you're going to read with me in a moment that they thronged him. Now stay with me, because what we're going to read here tonight is actually one story, but it's going to appear to be two. Matthew and Luke also told the same story, but Mark tells it in a, in a way that I want us to look at carefully tonight. And you always see these two incidents together. Enough of my explanation. Look at verse 21, Mark chapter 5. Would you gather your thoughts? Would you allow yourself to travel with Jesus? Verse 21, the Bible says this. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. Friends, what that means is he couldn't get away from the boat. He stepped out of the boat. There's such a crowd around him. It says he was near unto the sea, meaning there was no room for him to walk. Are you getting the picture? I hope you are. I want you to see it. Verse 22, and behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And by the way, Jairus was a well-respected man. Everybody admired him. Everybody knew him. He was well-educated. He was one of the rulers of the synagogue. He was wealthy. He was well-known. The Bible gives us his name. Notice what he does. When he approaches Jesus, what does he do? He falls down. He doesn't care what anybody thinks about him. He doesn't care how muddy and dirty his clothes are going to get. Something's going on here. What's happening? Verse 23. And he besought him greatly, saying, oh, here it comes. My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. He said, I know you, Jesus. I've seen what you've done before. I've seen you heal people who had diseases. I've seen you heal the man who had the, the, the shriveled hand. I've seen you feed people. I've seen you make paralyzed people walk. My daughter's dying. I left, it. I left her mother with her back at the house. You've got to come now. Don't miss verse, 25, verse 24. And Jesus went with him. And much people followed him and thronged him. You say, what's there to miss? He did not say, oh, oh, Jairus, I'm real tired. Maybe later on I can swing by the house. You know, we're going to go get a bite to eat. No, he said, let's go. Let's do it. 
This shows you the compassion of Christ. Now here comes the second portion of this one story, verse 25. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood 12 years. We don't know what it is, but she's suffered with it for 12 years. Verse 26, and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered but rather grew worse when she had heard of Jesus came in the press that's the crowd behind and touched his garment for she said if I may touch but his clothes I shall be whole and straightway, there's our key word, and straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, thou seest the multitude thronging thee and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. Notice, anytime anybody got real close to Jesus, they fell down. I mean, people who really wanted to get his, they really need, they wanted to be near him. They worshiped him. There was no... There's no cheap, laissez-faire Christianity going on here. She fell at his face, fell at his feet, just like Jairus did. Verse 34, and he said unto her, daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain, which said, thy daughter's dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus had heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept, and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado, and weep? The damsel's not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand, and, he's, and he said unto her, Talitha kumai which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And here it comes. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Friends, I'm going to tell you something point blank tonight. I have clung to this story. Can I tell you something? Countless times. I have no idea how many times. I have been deeply moved by this story for years. 
It has frequently put tears in my eyes and sometimes unapologetically I will say to you, I have wept strongly as I've meditated on this story and I've talked, the, I've talked my way through it with the Lord. And when I'm finished here tonight and when you leave and I leave, I will have a sense when I sit down after a bit, I will think I left so much of this story on the table that I wasn't able to touch. I will not do justice to what we have in front of us tonight. There is more here than I've got time or you've got time to us to, for us to look at tonight. You say, preacher, I know this story. We've heard this story. I've, I've known this story for years, and I'm sure you have. It seems like that portion of the story in the middle where the woman comes and touches his garment, probably the, the tassel that was hanging at the end of his robe. We've heard that portion of the story frequently. But it always is tied to the story of Jairus as well. What's it got to do with us? This man Jairus, who everybody knew. I mean, he was, as I, as I said a while ago, he was wealthy. He was, he was well known. He was well educated. Not everybody, I mean, certainly in Galilee was well educated, but this man was. You didn't, you didn't, get, to be a, you didn't get to be a ruler in the synagogue with, without having some real education. And so he was respected. Honestly, when Jairus and other rulers would come walking down the street, people would move out of their way and give them room because of their, their apparel, because of their, the knowledge that they possessed. I mean, they were well-respected, but when he approached Jesus, he didn't care what anybody thought about him. Most of those people did. And some, are you with me? Some of his friends were critics of the Lord Jesus. Who knows? Jairus may have contributed to some of that criticism before himself. We don't know. But he approaches Jesus with a broken heart. Well, I guess so. His 12-year-old daughter is dying. She's not just sick with a little fever. I mean, she's dying. you got to understand, back in that day and age, they didn't have all the medical help that we would have today. And whatever it is that she's got, she's in the process of dying. And he says, you've got to come. And he says this, if you'll just put your hand on her, I know she'll be healed. Because I know what you'll do. I know, I know you. And Jesus starts making his way. So as they're on their way to Capernaum, to, to Jairus' home, along the way comes this unnamed woman. We don't know her name. And by the way, she's of, she is of such disease that people avoided her. People didn't want to talk to her. Seriously, uh, they tell us that a woman who had her blood issue, she would have to walk around with some kind of a cloth and if, if, if she got near people, she would have to put that cloth up near her face so that she would say, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. People would say, woman, what are you doing out on the streets? See, the thought was that if her breath fell upon somebody, they may catch what she had. She lived with the embarrassment of her sickness and disease. It was horrible. She was diseased. Now, the Bible tells us here she'd spent everything she had on every doctor that was around and alive at that time. Can I tell you what that included? That included uh, occultic witch doctors of that day. She tried everything. 
She probably had been bled. She had been probably uh, taken things of, of some strange sort. She probably carried around with her in some kind of a, a cloth, as, as history tells us, uh, the, og, uh, the, the egg of an ostrich. I mean, strange treatments that they would put. And they would wipe on her things, or she would wipe on herself things that supposedly would give healing. And it never happened for how long? 12 years. She's had a problem for 12 years. She's lived with it. But she's heard about Jesus. And she says, if I can just touch his garment, I will be healed. Now, friends, hear me. I hope that you're hearing her faith. If I can just touch his garment, I will be healed. And by the way, the construction of the language tells us that she's repeating it over and over and over again. She's not talking to anybody with her. Nobody wants to be with her. She's diseased. She's depleted of her funds. If she had been married, she's probably been, she's divorced. And she's devoid of any hope until Jesus comes to town. If I can just touch his garment, I will be healed. And she keeps saying it to herself. If I can just touch his garment, if I can just touch his garment. And she gets herself in a position in which she sees the direction that he's going to Jairus' home. And she reaches out and touches his garment, hits that tassel. And immediately she knows something's happened. This has never happened to her before. I've been healed. And all of a sudden, Jesus, who knows that power has gone out from him, he turns, and by the way, you know this, he knows who he healed. But he, he does this, and he repeats the statement, who touched my clothes? Who touched my clothes? Who touched my clothes? So much so that everybody, his, his, his deacon, deacons, his uh, disciples, forgive me, his disciples uh, said to him, come on, look at the crowds all around you. You know, uh, I mean, people are running into you. We're, we're being thronged here. They're all, they can't wait to see what you're going to do at Jairus' home. I mean, everybody's touching you. And he goes, no, 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 no. Uh, something's happened. Uh, power's gone forth from me. He knows. What's he doing? He's drawing that woman out. And the Bible says there in, I think, verse 33, that she comes to him fearing and trembling. What's the difference between those two words? The word fearing is talking about the internal fear. Now, don't miss this. This is, this is a holy reverence. Hear me. She knows who this man is. He's the son of God. There's not some laissez-faire approach to the Lord. And she comes to him with a sense of holiness. What is he going to do to me? What is he going to do to me? Is he angry with me? And then the word trembling. That's the exterior. That's the, that's the literal trembling that's going on. I've been healed. I mean, it's both internal and external, and she's, she comes and she's falling before him. And what does Jesus say? Daughter. Friends, did you know this is the only time that Jesus in the Scriptures called anybody a daughter? You go read the four Gospels, he doesn't call anybody. This is the only time. What is he saying? He's saying, I just adopted you into the family. And he gives her hope. And don't you know people were saying, this is great. Oh, woman, this is wonderful. He just healed you. This is great. Have you forgotten who is also in the crowd? A desperate daddy. Don't you know that this length of conversation, I don't know, did it take 30 minutes? Did it take 45 minutes? This little interaction with this woman? Who knows how long it took? just took us a few seconds to read it. Can't you see Jairus? That's great, Jesus. Can we, can we go? He's got his hand on his elbow. Maybe he's patting him on the back saying, yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah, that's good. You know, hey, we really need to go. We really need to go. Come on. 
How much longer is this going to take? Can you disciples help me here? I mean, this is... My daughter's dying. He's desperate. And that woman was desperate too. They're both desperate people. She's been desperate for 12 years. He's been desperate for in just a, a, a short length of time. But they're both desperate people. And finally, Jesus says, okay, let's go. And they turn. And the moment they turn, somebody from Jairus' home, maybe a relative, maybe a servant. I mean, he's wealthy enough to have servants. And they come up and they say, Jairus, don't, don't bother the master teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. And while the words are hanging in the air, I mean, they, I mean, you can almost hear them still reverberating from the man's mouth. Don't bother the teacher. Your daughter's dead. Jesus simply says, Jairus, don't be afraid. Only believe. He was saying this, keep Believing. I know it sounds bad. I know you think it can't be any worse than a daughter's dead. I mean, the man hadn't even had, hardly had time to, to collapse in tears. And Jesus says, stop, don't be afraid. Only believe. Can I just get to the point tonight for sake of time? Can I ask you a question? Why is it? That we as God's people so frequently are unenthusiastic about prayer. I'm looking at a room full of people who probably the vast majority of you have had a season of prayer of one sort or another. If you've been in traffic today, you've probably had some time of prayer. But why is it we are unenthusiastic about a genuine season of time regularly with our God? Do you have unconfessed sin in your life that hinders you from be really being a person of prayer? Are you a person who, who have gotten to the point to where you're just, uh, you're full of unbelief because you prayed for something in the past and you've gotten yourself to the point to where you're thinking, well, he's not going to answer my prayers. I mean, I've asked him for some things that were really big before and I just don't think that he's going to, he's just not going to answer my prayer. And I really needed him back then, but you know, I, it just didn't happen. And so, I, you know, I, yeah, I pray, Mr. Preacher, I do, I pray, but you know, I'm, you know, for the real big things, let me ask you something. What's big to God? Did we not just sing tonight about who he is? Are you unaware of his power? No, you say, uh, pastor just read through that psalm tonight and kept repeating that his mercy endureth forever, but just went through that Old Testament history of Jesus parting the waters and guided the children of Israel in the wilderness, and, and he's a God of all power. I know he is. Okay, okay. Then where's the enthusiasm in our prayers? Could it be that we have to become desperate like Jairus, like this unnamed woman? Before we really, sincerely, genuinely go to God with a spirit of desperation and say, Oh God, you've got to come to my home. You've got to solve this issue in my life. Could it be tonight that we know very little about real deep, sincere prayer and spending time with God because it's been a while since we were desperate. I woke up one day at college. 
and I was desperately in need of financial help. Most college kids find themselves in that position from time to time. And I was desperate. I found myself really in dire need. I didn't know if the Lord was going to help me or not that particular day, but I sure got up that day asking for help. And I said, God, I need your help today. I mean, I really need it today. God, you got to, I got up real early, started spending time with him in prayer. And I said, Lord, I need your help today. I read in the Bible and the Psalms. I read where he is the owner of all the cattle on a thousand hills. And immediately my mind went back to that little song we sang as children. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mind. He is my father, so they're mine as well. And I said, Lord, you just, you just reminded me of that song and gave it to me scripturally. You're going to answer my prayer today, aren't you? This is great. You're going you're to supply my financial needs today, God. You're going to do it, aren't you? Did you know that entire day, can I tell you, that entire day, I had that song on my heart and I lived with a sense of expectancy. I mean, I just expected something to happen. I didn't know how. I thought maybe somebody would be walking down the hallways of school and they say, hey, Gleiser, hey, how you doing? Hey, 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 Morris, come here. I got a wad of money here. I, did, I just need to, I didn't know what to do with and God told me to give it to you. I, mean, I didn't know. Maybe that's what the Lord was going to do. He said, that's kind of far-fetched. I know, but God can do it. And I just kind of expected something. I went to my mailbox and did that little, that little uh, small little uh, combination lock on my mailbox and opened it up looking for a letter that might have a check in there. And I went there a couple of times that day. Nothing showed up. Well, I had a job. I had a job in town. I worked at a grocery store. And I thought maybe when I go to work tonight, well, of course, this is where I get paid. I'm, yes, of course, this is where I'm going to get some extra money. My manager's going to come up and he's going to say, hey, we've been meaning to give you a, a, a signing bonus. Uh, we've been meaning to give you some extra. Hey, we meant to give you a raise in pay months ago and we have failed to do so. And so we put it all together and check, hey, here it is. And I figured it would just be a sizable amount that would meet that need. Need that I needed to have my financial needs met. And so that night I was so excited about going to work. I went to work. I couldn't wait to see what he was going to supply. And I waited around. I kept working and I, I was stocking some shelves and I saw my manager walking down the aisle and I said, hot dog, here it comes. He came and he stood right behind me and I said, oh my, be still by heart. Here it comes. And he said, Morris, I jumped up and I said, yes, sir. He said, let's move the sugar down over here, down this way. And he said, we'll put the flour and corn starch right here. And I said, yes, sir, I'll get right on that. Anything else? And he said, no, that should do it. And I'm thinking, Lord, remind him. Remind him of that big wad of money in his pocket or that check in his pocket or something. And he turned and walked around and he, nothing happened. That night I left to go back to school and for some odd reason I decided, not odd to me, I decided to do something I never did before. I said goodbye to the managers that night, assistant manager. I never said goodbye, but I wanted them to know I'm leaving. If you were going to do something, now's the time. And I, I, I looked up at them up there in their little booth working and I'm th I said, hey guys, I'm going to... I'm going to head on back to school, and uh, I, it's time for me to get on back, so I'm leaving right now. Checking out right now, okay? And they looked at me like, okay. We'll see you next time. I said, Lord, remind them. It's getting late. I thought it was going to happen today. I went outside and walked slowly to my car. 
I thought they'd come running out. Morris, open your trunk. We forgot to put all this money here. We'll dump it in here. It didn't happen. I started driving back to school and I said, Lord, I'm just so discouraged. You been there? I said, Lord, I really thought, I mean, we've been, I've been living with, with faith all day today. Expectancy. Lord, I thought you were going to bring it today. And, and then I remembered, wait a minute, I did ask for it to happen before this day was out. I looked at the clock and I said, Lord, in 45 minutes, I've got to be in bed, put my head on my pillow. And I said, so we got 45 minutes. I said, Lord, would you please allow something to happen before I go to bed tonight? That's what I've been asking for. I started singing, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. I pulled up to school, got out of my car, checked in and started going up to my room. It was on the third floor of the dorm. Walked up the stairs and as I started walking, as I rounded the corner from the staircase, my roommate was walking down the hall. He was pacing and he, he saw me. He said, there you are. He said, where have you been? I said, I've been at work. Why? He said, well, come here. So we walked down the hall and we went to my room and his room. And he said, look, our door was closed. And up there on the door was a business size envelope, had my name written on it. It looked like it had been written with somebody's handwriting, written with the opposite hand that they normally used so that I would not be able to decipher who it may have come from. And my, my roommate said, that's been on the door all night tonight. And he says, it's killing me to see what's in that envelope. He said, would you hurry up and open it? I said, you're about to lose your mind. He said, I know it. I said, I'll just wait till the morning. What do you say? And he said, no. He said, you got to open it tonight. Well, what he didn't know was I was dying to open it as well. So I took it in the room and I opened it up. I don't remember how much was in that envelope, but there was no note and there was no letter, but there was a handful of bills inside that envelope. And I still don't know to this day who gave it to me. And I learned something that day. On that day, the Lord just told me, keep believing. Amen. Do you live ever with a spirit of expectancy because of what you prayed for? First of all, do you have a regular scheduled time where you, I mean, you get away from the phone, you get away from the computer, you get away from, from business, you get away from the, the family, you get away from breakfast, and you just say, Lord, it's time for me just to spend some quality time with you. You say, Morris, if you only knew my schedule, I, I would suppose that most of us in this room know what it is to be overly busy. Do you know what it is to spend quality, good time with your Lord? Let me ask this. Do you ever irritate the devil because of your prayer life? It's as if the devil says, go ahead, go ahead, open door, uh, open Bible Baptist church. Go ahead, child of God there at that church. Go ahead, trust in your personality. Go ahead, trust in your education. Go ahead, go ahead. Trust in your, uh, trust in your uh, creative juices. Go ahead and trust your intelligence. Go ahead and trust your, your, your curriculum guides that you use to, to help choose or to teach other groups of people. Go ahead. Go ahead and, 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 and trust in, uh, in, in your, your family background and heritage. Go ahead. It's like the devil says, go ahead, trust all that. But please don't get serious about prayer. 
Because when God's people get serious about asking God to do what only he can do, there's no stopping the almighty power of God. When you and I pray, friends, don't miss this. We are calling on almighty God to give all of his attention, to give his attention to one person or to one circumstance or one situation and to divinely change whatever need that is upon the, is on our heart. You say, Morris, you act like we're just supposed to go to God and snap our fingers and clap our hands and say, God, I need you. Jump on this. And we have a financial need and we have this physical need and we have this religious uh, spiritual need and we have this ministry need and we have this. No, friends, don't forget these two people both bowed before the Lord. There's no room for irreverence in this. But you can't miss the fact that both these people were desperate. Number one, can you just notice with me here? I want you to see the wideness of God's mercy. You say, what? Notice the wideness of God's mercy. So come to him believing. What do you have here? You have a man who everybody knew. Everybody respected. He was held in high regard. He was a man who was, again, well-educated, wealthy. He was a a well-known individual, okay? We got his name. And you've got a woman who's unknown, who everybody avoided, kept their children away from her, and she was a woman who was in many cases despised. And both of them needed his help. Hang on, this man's problem is recent. Listen, Jesus has only been gone about 24 hours or less. So the daughter has gotten sick to the point of death real quickly. This is a recent problem. This woman... She's been ill for 12 years. Okay, question. To whom did Jesus show the greatest care, the greatest concern, the greatest compassion, the greatest mercy? To whom did he show the greatest care? Be careful. To whom? He showed it to both of them equally. Why? Because, friends, you don't come to Jesus based upon your merit. You don't come to Jesus based upon your education. We don't come to Jesus based upon our church affiliation and church attendance. We don't come to Jesus based upon any goodness that we have in our life. How do we come to Jesus? We come just as we are. And I like the words that come with that. That says, I I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be healed. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcomed with open arms. Praise God, just as I am. There was no man in the crowd like Jairus who could say, no, wait a minute, Jesus. Now, that woman may have a need, but surely you're going to respect me more. No, friends, listen to me. You may sit here tonight and you say, Brother Morris, I don't have the education that a lot of people in this building have. 
or I don't have the church uh, background that a lot of people here have. If you only knew the home that I grew up in, if you only knew the baggage of my life, if you only knew the junk that I've done in my past. Morris, if you only knew the things I did when I was in the military, if you only knew what I did in my first marriage, if you only knew I don't deserve God hearing my prayers. No, of course not. Absolutely not. When are you and I going to ever realize that's the greatness of our God? And that is the magnificence of his mercy. When are we going to see the grandeur of his grace? We come just as we are, broken, wounded, desperate. I need your help. You say, preacher, I know all that. Then why don't we live that way? You see, both these people recognize the Lord's nature. Are you with me? They recognized his nature. What was his nature? He was caring. Jairus knew if I can approach him, he'll come to my home. They knew. She knew. He's compassionate. And they knew he was capable. They knew that there was nothing that Jesus could not do. So they came to him. They recognized his nature. I came home from a, a ministry trip from Hershey, Pennsylvania. You fill in the blanks with what I came home with, all right? There were people there in that church who, who uh, worked at the factory. And it's got to be the sweetest smelling city in America, I'm telling you. But uh, I was given a, a great deal of chocolate that week. And uh, I, I had some of it still left over. Not a lot, but some. And uh, as I drove home, I went home and I had some grandkids there to greet me. And it was fun. I just loved it. It was great. And uh, after all the fun and the loving and the tackling and everything went on, I looked at my, my, my grandson, Drew, and I said, Hey, Drew. I said, I got some candy. I said, would you rather have a Reese's peanut butter cup or would you rather have a Snickers? And he said, Papa, I really like Reese's peanut butter cup. I said, well, here, take it. Take it. I said to his older sister, Karis, I said, Karis, which do you like? Do you like Reese's peanut butter cup or Snickers? She said, Papa, I don't really like Reese's peanut butter cup. I said, do you like Snickers? She said, I do. I said, well, here, take that. I looked at the baby who was about four. You just got to know that little girl, little munchkin. Her name's Amberly. I call her Ambers. I said, Ambers, which do you like? Do you, want, do you want Reese's peanut butter cup or do you want Snickers? That little girl looked up at me and she said, both. That's what I want. And guess what she got? She got them both. She could have had the keys to the car if she'd asked for it. I'm telling you, the girl owns me. My point to you tonight is this. She knew who she was talking to. That's my papa. Why stop with just one? I want them both. Are you listening to me tonight? When you go to the Lord Jesus, do you recognize his nature? You say, well, you, don't, you just don't talk to God and say, I want candy. Listen to me. These people were desperate in their needs and they came to him with a desire for healing and help. And they were in, they were in dire, desperate straits. And they said, would you please come? Would you please heal? And they recognized his nature. She said, if I may but touch his clothes, you see it there in verse 28. If I may but touch his clothes, if I can just touch his clothes, if I can just touch his clothes, what did Jairus say? If you'll just put your hand on my daughter, she shall be healed. They recognized his nature. So what did they do? They requested with nerve. They were bold. I don't know about you, but sometimes I go to the Lord in prayer and I say, Lord, I, you know, Lord, I, I don't know what you want to do about this, but I really have a burden on my heart. And I, this is, um, 
this is, uh, I've been guilty to say, Lord, this is, this is big. And uh, Lord, I, I, I know, I, I just, I've asked for so much and I'm just not real sure. And I sometimes wonder if the Lord looks at me and he says, I'm your father. Ask. Ask. I want to hear the cry of your heart. Hannah went inside the temple and she was desperate for a baby boy. She prayed. God gave her her prayer. Uh, the servant of Abraham sat by the well and he said, I got to find a bride for my master's son. I'm desperate. Oh, fa father of my father, Abraham, God, would you please show me what to do? I'm in a strange country with strange people. I don't know what to do. And up walked Rebecca. And God answered his desperate plea. Jonah got desperate in the belly of a giant fish. Go figure, wouldn't you? I mean, he's down in the belly of this giant fish and he says, oh God, give me another chance, please. He was desperate. And the church gathered in Acts chapter 12 because their friend Peter was imprisoned and they were fearful that he'd have his head removed and they prayed. They were desperate. They were going to pray all night long if need be. Please, God, deliver Peter from prison. This ought to encourage your heart. At midnight, somebody was knocking at the door and not one person in the prayer meeting said, it's Peter. He's out of prison. They sent a little servant girl, Rhoda, to go answer the door. And she went and answered the door. And she said, who is it? And she heard the name on the other side. It's Peter. I'm out of prison. And she comes back and she says, stop the prayer meeting. It's Peter at the door. And they said, you've lost your mind. You're crazy. Can you imagine what her parents thought? They were so embarrassed. They said, folks, we're sorry. She's, she's, uh, she just got her braces tightened. And she's not thinking straight, you know. She's... She's high on Mountain Dew or something. I mean, we just don't know. We're just, Rhoda, you're embarrassing us. And finally, they went over and opened the door. They were desperate. Oh, God, get Peter out of prison. And there he stood at the door. When was the last time God did something in your life that just absolutely took your breath away? Do you find yourself ever praying for something that honestly appears to be something that only God can do? Are you hearing me? People carry a little plaque in their home and sometimes they'll put a sticker on their car and I don't have any problem with it, but it says prayer changes things. I don't have a problem with that, but I like what Donald Gray Barnhouse said many years ago. He said, prayer changes nothing. It's God that changes things. And he said, sometimes we so focus on our technique and our method and our choice of words when what we really need to do is meditate on the bigness and the greatness of our God. These two people recognized his nature, so they requested with nerve. Okay, okay. You sit here tonight, your bills are paid, your health is good. Okay. Your kids passing geometry finally. Okay. You got a good retirement plan going. Fine, wonderful. And so your prayer life has become some kind of a mechanical, anemic, ro robotical set of words. Oh, God, I pray that you'll uh, bless the church and help our pastor and uh, take care of those missionaries and, uh, and help us as we drive and, uh, and, and forgive us of our many sins. Oh, boy, I don't know what else to pray. And it's going to have to take something desperate before we learn what it is to say, oh, God, I need you. Is there a relationship that needs healing? Is there a burden that needs to be lifted?
Is there a sickness that needs to be healed? Is there a circumstance that needs to be changed? Number one, you see the wideness of his mercy, so come to him believing. And finally, you see the wonder of his might. So keep believing. In this story, we not only see, we not only see the wideness of his mercy, so you can come to him and believe. You see the wonder of his might. I'm talking about his power. Look, folks, he just raised a daughter, this girl from the dead. By the way, I think he probably knew her. He lived in Capernaum. It was his home. He says to her gingerly and gently, Talitha, Kumai, little dove, little dove. Might have been a nickname. He might have given her that nickname. I don't know, probably a family nickname, little dove. I say unto you, arise. Son, I'm telling you, there's some power in those words. Did you not see the power of this woman who was immediately healed by simply touching his garment? You see in this story, I know you know it. I know it, but if you, if you had been there that day, you wouldn't be sitting here tonight going, yeah, I know that story. Yeah, I've heard it before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. What do y'all want to do on the way home? Yeah. You see the wonder of his might. So what do we do? Keep believing. Jesus said to Jairus, Jairus, I know the words that just were expressed were that she's dead. But don't be afraid. Keep believing. Is there someone you don't pray for anymore? Is there some situation that you have stopped praying about? Is there a... Is there a, a hardship, a relationship, a, a health issue? Is there a, a job situation, employment matter? Is there something going on in your world? I'm not playing on your emotions. I'm just the messenger boy. I'm telling you, you see the incredible power that Jesus demonstrates here. So what should we do with that? Keep believing. Whatever it is that you've been praying for and you've gotten discouraged and you've been fearful let me tell you something we we become so fearful god's not hearing my prayer so what do we do we quit praying we we get full of doubt so what do we do we quit praying we get distraught and discouraged so what do we do we pray but we don't really we we don't keep believing jesus says here you just saw what i did over here So keep believing. Jairus, don't get discouraged. (coughs) Most of you know the name of George Mueller. George Mueller was a man who established five orphanages in Bristol, England in the late 1800s. What I love about old George Mueller is that he was a man who was completely dependent upon the Lord. Those orphanages that he led were literally built by God because George Mueller's prayer life. It was kept afloat because of George's prayer life. George Mueller, maybe the most familiar story of Mueller was the day in which he got up and came to the dining area where the children were gathered around the table. All the plates, bowls, cups, and silver were in their place, but there was no food on the table or in the house and no money to purchase anything. The workers told George Mueller, we have nothing. 
George Mueller looked around the table. He saw those children and he made this statement. He said, children, I know that you've got to get to school. So we need to thank God for whatever it is he's going to supply us for breakfast. And they tell us that he lifted his head and lifted his hand and he simply prayed, God, I thank you for what you're going to provide for us today to eat. And when he finished his prayer, a knock came to the door. They went over and opened the door and there was a local baker who said, Mr. Mueller, I have no idea why I had to do this, but God would not let me sleep last night. I've been up since two o'clock in the morning baking goods and bread for you. He said, do you need the food? He said, we certainly do. When they brought in all those baked goods and got them in place, another knock came to the door. They went over and opened the door and there stood at the door the local milkman back in the days when he delivered milk. Milkman delivered it to their homes. Milkman stood there and he said, sir, my cart just broke down. I just broke an axle out here and I've got to repair it and I can't repair it with all those large cans of milk and I need to get those canisters off and deliver get I can't deliver them it's going to take too long to repair the 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 cart he said could you use my milk and he said I sure can and they brought the milk in and God provided that day once again miraculously as a result of of a man praying and we sit here tonight with all of our first world comforts we depend upon a card and we depend upon a phone call and we depend upon someone else. And God says, I may have to make things desperate before you'll ever get serious. So I sat in my house for a year, not knowing exactly what it was that the Lord was going to do with me. And I said, Lord, I need you to heal me. I want you to. And I have friends that are with you in heaven that you did not heal. And you may not want to heal me. But I'm asking. I'm desperate. And there were times when it flooded all over me. And the flood was a flood of joy. And at times, a flood of some type of fear. And there was pain and confusion. And my companion of life and I, Lynn and I, learned what it was like to call out to the Lord and say, God, we're desperate. We need you to heal me. And by God's divine goodness in my life, he brought healing. You say, well, that could change. Of course it could. I repeat, we're in his hands. But all I'm saying to you tonight, dear friend, is simply this. We need to recognize the wonder of his might and keep on believing. And recognize the wideness of his mercy and come believing. And I don't know what it is that's on your heart tonight that maybe you're concerned about. But my prayer is that you will take a long look at your prayer life. Are you with me? 
and recognize that there are things to pray over. Would you bow your head with me? Satan doesn't want us to hear these truths tonight. Satan wants you to do anything but learn about the great power of God. You say, Morris, I already know about his power. I'm sure you do. And I have no idea if you're going through something right now or if you will be going through something in the future. I have no idea. Spurgeon used to say, Charles Spurgeon used to say, every child of God has just come out of a storm or they're in the midst of a storm or they're about to enter a storm. And it could be that tonight what you're hearing is just simply Bible facts, that's all. But in some cases tonight, it may be that you need to hear the truth. That in your own personal life, you need to see God break through and do what only He can do. With your heads bowed, would you just simply stand with me? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Let's just stand tonight. It could be that you need to take some time with your Lord in just a few moments and find a place to kneel and say, Dear God, I want to see your power in my life. It could be that tonight there's something that the Lord placed upon your heart that you have stopped praying about or you have stopped seeking Him with desperation and fervency. And tonight you sense the need to do so. It could be tonight that what you've heard is simply something that you're going to need in the days to come. You can have a seat to pray, you can get on your knees and pray, but tonight I would encourage you, if the Lord has laid something on your heart, you need to seek Him about. I'm going to ask you to take some time with Him. Father, finish this service as only you can. I pray that you'll take the stumbling, stuttering words that we've communicated this message tonight with and help us as your people to recognize what you're trying to say. Lord, I didn't do justice to this story, I know. I've seen it in my heart. I've seen it in my mind countless times. I wish I could have been there to see it happen. But Lord, this is the day in which we live and we need to see you move in our ministries. We need to see you move in our marriages. We need to see you move with our children. We need to see you move in our homes. We need to see you move in our lives. Encourage your people tonight to seek your face with a spirit of expectancy and desperation. We ask it in your wonderful name. Heads are bowed. Would you find that place to pray right now as the music begins?